Hello, welcome to you if it's your first time or it's your first time in a while if you've been away for the past few weeks. It is so good to see you today. If you don't know me, my name is Ben and I'm the vicar here at St Thomas's and please do come and say hello at the end um, if you haven't met me before. As Lee said, we're starting a new sermon series today, which I'll introduce in just a moment. But I thought one thing that we could do, this is a practice that we often have at St. Thomas, is that we stand and pray a prayer before we hear from the, before we hear from the Word of God. And I thought a great prayer to pray together today would be the collect, the, the special prayer set for today, which basically asks that the glorious gospel might shine in our hearts Um, that we might reveal the knowledge of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And what better thing to do before we sit under Jesus' word to pray for that to happen in our lives. So can I invite you to stand where you are? And this prayer is going to come up um, on the screens. And um, know that as we pray this, that we're joining in with Christians all over the world who are praying this prayer together today. So let's say this together. God, our creator, who in the beginning commanded the light to shine out of darkness. We pray that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ may dispel the darkness of ignorance and unbelief, shine into the hearts of all your people and reveal the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. So today, church, as Lee has already said, we are starting a new series on relationships. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear together from God's word that you and I were created for relationship. It is relationships that help us make sense of the world around us. And that, the, the reason that that's the case, church, is because you and I are made in the image of a relational God. Now, what we want to explore in this series over the next six, seven, eight weeks together is what does that mean for us as God's people today? What does it mean for you and I to be made for relationship? Now, we've wanted to do this series for a while now. I think Lee and I have been talking about doing this for the past two years, so basically since we launched. And the reason that we've wanted to spend a good couple of months looking at relationships is because as a church family, we really do believe that what the Bible says about relationships and human flourishing really is good news. What the Bible says about some of the stuff that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, friendship, singleness, sex, sexuality, marriage, All that the Bible says about these things is liberating and it is good news. One of the reasons that we want to do this series as well is because we believe that the community that is formed through the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most radical, open, generous and life-changing community that you could ever, ever know. 
We also wanted to do this series because we're aware that everybody in the world, everybody is in the process of spiritual formation. Everybody is being discipled by something or someone. Now, we pray that we'll be discipled by the person of Jesus Christ as we submit to his word and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and we become even more aware of the glory of God the Father. But everybody in the world is being discipled by something or someone. Now, that could be Netflix, our work colleagues, university, what we're taught at school. All of us are being discipled by the people around us. And what we want to pray, church, is that we'd be sanctified and have our minds renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we'd invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and disciple us. That we'd ask the word of God to change and transform us. Now on that, it's worth saying just before we launch into this series that some of the stuff that we look at over the next few weeks is going to jar with what culture says. Some of the stuff that we look at in God's word is going to jar with what your friend, some of your friends and your peers will tell you. Some of it will even jar with our experience. But isn't that true about what the Bible says about most things? Isn't that true about what the Bible says about alcohol or gossiping or money? How we give our time or our resources? Most of what the Bible says is so counter-cultural. Now, we want this church to be a safe space where we can hear from God's word and respond as a community with humility, love and grace towards each other, but also towards the world. My prayer, and I'll say this a number of times today, is that we will become the most loving and grace-filled community that we could possibly be. Now, we're aware that some of the topics um, that we're looking at over the next few weeks as well may well bring up some stuff from our past or from our current experience or from our life story, whatever it might be, and that we need to process a little bit more with somebody. Small groups are a great place for that. I love my small group. We meet every Tuesday night. We eat together. We pray together. We laugh together. We cry together. It's fantastic. Small groups are a great place for us to begin to process some of these things. But if you need to speak to somebody else one-to-one as a result of something that comes up from what we're looking at over the next few weeks, then you can get in touch with one of the team, either by speaking to somebody with a lanyard at the end or by emailing pastoral at stthomas.church, pastoral at stthomas.church. And we will try and get back in touch with you, in the next, you know, within two days of you emailing us and just arrange a one-to-one chat and prayer. We also want this series to be a conversation So some of the weeks, we're going to have Q&As at the end of the service. The service will finish, the live stream will be cut, and there'll be a little panel for us to ask questions and have a little conversation as a church family. Now, most of all, church, I want two things for us as a church community as we go through through this series together. Firstly... As I've already said, I want us to see that what God says in his word about our relationships and human flourishing truly is good news. We don't need to be scared of what the Bible says. 
as I've said, it generates, the gospel generates the most radical, inclusive, open community that we could possibly ever imagine. And so we'll all bring stuff to church on Sundays. We'll all bring stuff to small groups every week as we discuss this stuff. But what I want for us is to walk out of small groups or church knowing that we're free because of what Jesus says about us. Knowing that we can be people full of grace and love and humility towards one another. We've all made mistakes, haven't we? In all the areas that we're going to talk about, well, in every area we talk about any Sunday at church, that's why we say the confession together and receive words of God's forgiveness. But I want shame to be left behind and for us to walk out knowing that we're free in the person of Jesus Christ. And secondly, my prayer for us as a church community is this, as I've already said, that we would become the most radical community of welcome, love and grace and patience and mercy and all of those things that we can possibly be. But church, the only way we're going to get there is by doing it God's way. Now today, to kick off the series, we're thinking about friendship. So if you can grab a Bible and turn it to 1 Corinthians 13, that would be fantastic. 1 Corinthians 13. If you haven't got a Bible, if you just Google 1 Corinthians 13, that would be great. And I'm going to read to the first part of verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I have nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails. Church, this is the word of the Lord. So we're looking at friendship, and you may be sat here today thinking, why on earth, on a talk on friendship, are we looking at 1 Corinthians 13? Isn't that the Bible passage that everybody chooses to have read out at their wedding? Well, it's true that it is commonly read out at weddings. I've done loads of weddings now, and this is like the number one Bible reading, I think, that I've had at marriage services. And one of the reasons, though, that we've been trained to think almost unconsciously that this is about a marriage and is about two people getting married is because culture tells us that the most important relationships, our culture tells us this, the most important relationships are romantic. And so we assume when we hear these verses read out, oh, Paul must be talking about two people who have just got married. Because we prioritise romance above everything else. If you think about the TV shows that we watch, the TV series that you watch, the songs that you listen to on Spotify, most of them are about two people falling in love, aren't they? If you think about the gossip columns in our newspapers, I do not recommend that you read them. But if you have any knowledge of the gossip columns at all, you'll know that they're all about who is sleeping with who. 
Rarely are they about who is friends with who, because that's nowhere near as exciting, is it? Latest celebrity becomes best friends with so-and-so. No one's going to read that. But people are obsessed with who is sleeping with who. Now, I think that we're actually culturally conditioned to think that love is primarily about romantic relationships from childhood. So if you think about Disney films, I grew up watching and loving Disney films. But if you think about them, at the heart of nearly every Disney film is two, two main characters that fall in love. Yet Aladdin can only experience the whole new world with Jasmine. It's not enough that he's got a boo and genie. Or you think about um, Timon, Pumba and Simba. I think the, one of the best things about The Lion King is their friendship that, you know, their friendship that um, emerges. And yet there's no talk of love, can you feel a love tonight, doesn't appear till Nala comes back on the scene all of those years later. As if there can be no love unless two people are falling in love. In fact, Frozen was kind of hailed as progressive and breaking the ice, if you like, because Anna doesn't fall in love, uh, doesn't end up with the first person that she like, kind of falls in love with at the beginning of the film. She obviously ends up with Kristoff, spoiler alert, just in case you haven't seen it. <laughs> now, the result of all of this is that we idolise romantic relationships above everything else. We put romance on a pedestal and we downplay the importance of friendship. And that is what a liberal, individualistic culture is going to do. Because it's all about what I can get. And it's about you know, m- my needs being met. Now, church, we're guilty of this too, I'm afraid. And the church, we probably as a church family need to repent over this. The church globally certainly needs to, re- certainly needs to repent over this. We idolise marriage and make that the be-all and end-all. We think that the only way to be truly happy is if we find that special one. As if that's going to be the cure to all of our problems. Now, if that's what we've been taught, I'm afraid the reality is if we end up in some kind of romantic relationship that may even lead to marriage, we're going to be bitterly disappointed. That is not going to fix our problems. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Friendship is unnecessary, rather like philosophy or like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. In other words, we don't need friendship in order to survive as human beings. But life is pretty awful without it. Now, I think that we're seeing, unfortunately, the damaging effects of this of this cultural view being played out literally all around us. A recent YouGov poll found that nearly one in three young adults say that they are lonely. That's 18 to 36-year-olds. One in three say that they are lonely. 22% of young adults say they have no friends. 27% say they have no close friends. And 30%, that's nearly one in three young adults says that they have no best friends. Now, the shocking thing about all of these statistics is that these stats were actually released just before the pandemic started. Now, when COVID hit, we decided that the best way to fix that pandemic was basically isolation, and in doing so, we only sped up another pandemic of loneliness 
and lack of friendship and all of those kinds of things. I know people that weren't touched for six or seven months in that first lockdown because they were single, lived by themselves, and legally they weren't allowed to touch another human being. Think about the damaging effects that that has had on us as a society and culture. Friendship basically took a battering as a result. Now, all of this to say, when we neglect friendship, of course, we're going to end up in a bit of a mess because we were made for friendship. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at Genesis, haven't we? Brogan, Mim and Lee have done a fantastic job taking us through Genesis 1 to 3. And we, see, we saw a number of things. Firstly, we see in Genesis that we were created in the image of God. We see, don't we, in the opening chapters of Genesis that God is triune, one God, three persons. For all of time, the Father has been in relationship with the Son, who's been loving the Spirit, who's been loving the Father, who's been loving the Spirit, who's been loving the Son, who's been loving the Father, and that has been going on forever. And we were made, church, in the image of that relational God who has friendship and relationship at the core of who he is. When we were reading Genesis 2 and 3, we hear about Adam and Eve walking in the garden with each other and with God. The Hebrew word for walking is actually a metaphor, a symbol of friendship. So why is it today that so many people are lonely? Well, partly because we get stuff wrong all the time and sin messes up our relationships and we find it difficult to, you know, to be in relationship with people because of our own mess sometimes. People are lonely, as I've said, because of our liberalised, individualistic view of culture and the world. And this has led to stuff like people thinking that our sexuality is the main thing that defines us. Because we were made for romance, right? That's the most important thing. Now, this, of course, is a lie. If you've been saved by Jesus, the thing that defines you more than anything else is that you are a child of God. That and that alone is the thing that defines us. But a lot of the reasons that we're lonely, church, is that we simply don't know how to do friendship because of all of the things that I've just been talking about. So one of the things that I want us to ask today as we work through these verses is what does God say about friendship in his word? What does God say about the way that we should love one another as friends in 1 Corinthians 13? Now, this passage, as I say, was not written to a married couple on their wedding day. It was written to a fledgling church, a new church plant that was working out what it means for them to be friends and for them to love one another. It could have been written to us, a new church plant, a fledgling church, as we come together and work out what does it mean for us to love one another. So 1 Corinthians 13, look at verses 1 to 3 with me. The first thing that we see in these verses is that who we are is more important than what we do. Our love for one another is more important than anything else. So keep keep verses 1 to 3 open in front of you. So Paul basically says to the church this, Sure, church, you can speak in tongues... It's a good thing to do. You can prophesy. That's another good thing to do. You can have a huge intellect. You can have outrageous faith that moves mountains. You can give lots of ways to the poor and to each other. 
But if you don't have love, you have nothing. Now we'll look at the exact nature of this love in just a moment. But think about what Paul is saying here. Our outward works are nothing if we don't have love. In fact, we can gain nothing if we don't have love. Now, when I was reading these verses, I was reminded of another early church, the church in Ephesus, which again was a new church plant around the time um, Paul, Paul wrote letters to that church as well. And in Revelation chapter 2, the last book of the Bible, there's loads of letters to some of the church plants that are given in the words of Jesus. And in Revelation 2, Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus and says this, I know your deeds, I know your hard work. I know that you have sound doctrine, like you believe the right things, you've rooted out false teachers, you've persevered for my name, you've endured persecution, and you have not grown weary. Now I'm reading this and thinking, gosh, if Jesus said that about our church family, St. Thomas's, I'd be absolutely delighted. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were known as a church that believed the right things, worked hard, suffered for Jesus, endured with perseverance, all of these amazing things, And yet Jesus says to them in the very next verse, yet I hold this against you. You have forgotten your first love. You must repent. You see, church, we can have the biggest vision for our church, church family. We can have the biggest vision for our region. We want to see the Northeast transformed in the name of Jesus Christ as we plant lots of churches. We can have the biggest visions for our own life. We can do amazing things and look super spiritual. But if we don't have love, it is all for nothing. Now, if we apply this to friendships, you know, we can have the most fantastic nights out with our friends and get, you know, just have the most amazing evenings. We have the most fantastic time with our hallmates. We can go to football with the same group of lads every single, every single week. But if we don't have genuine love and affection, we actually have nothing. So the question is, how do we love in friendships? Well, we love by being Intentional. Friendship is intentional. It is not just incidental. So look at verses four to eight with me. Basically, Paul gives these amazing descriptors of what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not dishonoring. It's not easily angered. It's not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. All of these amazing things. Love always hopes. It always perseveres. It never fails. In other words, love is a series of intentional choices. It's about being intentionally kind, about being intentionally patient, about not boasting to your friends about how amazing you are. It's about not being jealous that those that you love might be better than you at something. It takes intention. You'll know this, all of us will know this with our close friends. It takes intention not to keep any record of wrongs. Um, The people that I've been closest to in well, for a number of years now, my wife, Ellie, and Lee and Rachel. Uh, Lee and I have known each other since our first day at secondary school. And um, we've basically followed each other around ever since. 
Now, if Lee kept a record of all of the things that he didn't like about me or all, you know, all of the wrongs that I've ever committed, I can tell you now that there'd be no book big enough to hold them. It takes an intentional choice not to keep a record of wrongs. It takes an intentional choice not to be jealous. To, you know, to not mind if one of your friends is getting the limelight more than you. Um, again, back to Lee. You know, Lee is incredibly gifted in so many ways. And I sometimes look at the gifts that Lee has, his communication skills, um, the way that his mind works around, you know, around certain things really, really quickly, his emotional inter- There's so many things that I could look at and think, gosh, if only I had that. It takes intention to celebrate the stuff in other people and to, and to, and to not be insecure about how that might affect you. The problem is, though, church, I think that we actually don't have that many intentional friendships. What most of us have is just a series of incidental friendships. Now, by that, I mean, you know, lots of the friendships that we do have might develop into genuine intentional friendships, but most of our relationships are actually not that deep. They're just incidental. You know, we fall into a group of friends because we like to go to the same pub or because we like the same clothes or because we like the same school, uh, go to, went to the same school, we like the same football team, we have the same political view, we went to the same university, whatever it might be. But those things don't actually guarantee a friendship. Now, I think the Bible's really clear elsewhere that friendships must be Intentional. There's a great friendship um, in the book of Ruth. There's another one that's talked about in, in, in the books of um, Samuel and Jonathan, and Jonathan and David. In the book of Ruth, we, read these, we meet these two women, Ruth and Naomi. And right at the start of the book, Ruth says to Naomi, and this is chapter 1, verse 16, she says this the most amazing thing to her. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Now, don't you think that's an incredible thing to say to somebody? Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whoever you end up meeting, they're going to be my people too, and we're going to worship God together. The problem is that there's not that many examples of this type of friendship around. We, Ellie and I have basically done this with Lee and Rachel. It's almost like a covenantal friendship. We're going to commit to one another and give to one another and that we're going to travel together and journey together and our people are going to be the same and we're going to worship God together and follow where he leads. Do you see how intentional this is? This is so much more than, you know, Ruth saying to Naomi, we like the same clothes, let's hang out. Or we just so happen to be in science together. Or we just... You know, we just so happened to support Newcastle United or what, you know, whatever, not that Newcastle United was a thing then, but you know what I mean. This is intentionality. I am with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Now, if you read lots of articles in sociology, um, or just, you know, in opinion pieces in, in newspapers or whatever it might be, You'll have heard a lot over the past few years that there's lots of people who were relationally exhausted. 
There's lots of relational burnout. Now, I think that one of the reasons that there's lots of relational burnout and relational exhaustion is because we don't know how to do deep, covenantal, intentional friendships. And part of the reason for that, church, is we don't actually have that many models around of how to do this stuff. If you think about covenantal relationships that the church celebrates, we have marriage, which is a covenant. The only other one I can think of where promises are said over, over a person and some commitment is made is when a baby's baptised and the godparents and parents make promises over the child. And because we don't have that many models for covenantal relationships, we have no framework for working out how it is that we do this type of deep, intentional friendship. So let me just say this about covenant, because I think it will come up a lot over the next few weeks. Covenant is about what I can give. Covenant is about sharing everything. The first covenant that we read of, or the, the best covenant, is of course the covenant that God makes with us. Now think about this for a minute. The covenant that God makes with, miss, uh, with us means this. Everything that belongs to me, God gets. Now in return, I get everything that belongs to God. Now that's a pretty sweet deal, I think. In fact, the Bible says that I share the same inheritance that Jesus himself has. When God looks at me, he sees his son Jesus in his perfection and glory. That is covenant. Covenant is about what we can give. Most relationships, I think, actually behave like contracts. Contracts is all about what you can get. The transfer window shuts tomorrow. The football transfer window, that is. Newcastle United have been one of the busiest teams, signing all kinds of players. They've just signed a Brazilian midfielder, I think, today from Lyon for some outrageous, obscene amount of money. Now, he has already signed a contract with Newcastle United, but it's a two-way getting out of the other. It's not about giving. Sure, there might be some money exchange. Newcastle will give this guy some money. But it's actually about what, what they can get. So Newcastle hope that he's going to perform well to keep them in the Premier League, and they hope that he's going to do all of this kind of... Uh, he, and the player, sorry, hopes that he's going to be paid what Newcastle are going to pay him and he's going to get performance bonuses and all of this kind of thing. But it's about what they can get. A lot of friendships actually behave like contracts. We have friends because they're useful to us. They might help us climb the social ladder. They might help us have a better night out. They may help us with our grades at university or whatever it might be. But friendships should be so much bigger than that. People say that one of the reasons there's so much relational burnout is that we've got too many friends. This is partly fueled by social media. You know, some of us have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all these kinds of things. I actually don't think that the problem is that we've got too many friends. I think it's the real problem is that culture doesn't know how to do friendship at all. And the people that we think are our friends aren't actually, we're not actually behaving in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. No one can sustain a network of thousands and thousands of friends. And so we see these lists of people that are interacting with us on social media. And yet we only ever get to a surface level with people. You know, you might see somebody in, at work or in the lecture room several times a week or once a week or whatever it might be. And, you know, you ask them, how are you? And they say, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. 
And then the next day when you see them, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, okay, thank you. Then you see them a week later. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Weather's nice, isn't it? Oh my gosh, we've had some breakthrough. We're on to the weather. It's that that's leading to relational burnout. And church, one of the things that we've got to do is, is learn how to get beyond small talk and start asking more meaningful questions of each other. Rather than asking, how are you? Why not ask, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? Or how can I pray for you? Or what's really exciting you about the week that is coming up? Friendships that don't give, but just take, of course, are always going to lead to relational burnout. Covenantal relationships, on the other hand, they give life. Yes, they take work. Yes, they take intentionality. But they give life. Now, church, what I do want to say about this is that love is a choice. Again, one of the things that culture has taught us is that love is, you know, a fuzzy feeling. It's butterflies in your stomach. It's that, you know, fuzzy feeling that you have when you wake up in the morning and think about somebody. Um, The reality is that feelings usually follow choices. It's intentionality and consistency that leads to love. And so as a culture, as a, as a people, we've got to learn what it means to show up. We've got to, li- we've got to learn um, you know, what it means to be present with one another. We've got to get to a point where we can ha- go through an evening and you know, turn our mobile phones off and not need some kind of adrenaline buzz from Instagram in order to get us through the evening and to sustain us relationally. Love is a choice. It's a choice to do all of these things. Ellie and I have a, um, a box in our living room. It's like a charging box where all of our digital devices go in an evening. We're not allowed to take them um, to bed with us. And that's partly so that we can model some of this intentionally choosing to be present, choosing to be consistent with one another, all of that stuff. We've got to learn in relationships about in being intentional about making good choices. Michael Harper put it like this. Love is not feeling sentimental towards others, nor is it primarily saying the right things, nor is it to be found in giving. For according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, you can give your life and all you possess to others and still be bankrupt of true love. Love is an attitude which is never superior, which is devoid of all criticism, which is deeply concerned and committed to the good of the other person. Love is an attitude. Kind of reminds me of what Paul said to the church in Philippi when he said to them, talking about relationships, you must have the same attitude as that of Jesus who humbled himself. We must be intentional, church. So how can we be more intentional? Maybe that's the question that you want to ask yourself this week. How can I be more intentional with the people that God has put around me? How can I be more consistent? How can I show up more? How can I be more present? What do we need to do in response to this? Now lastly, before we respond, the best friendships are based on the gospel. 
the best friendships are based on the gospel. Just look back over these verses that we've read from 1 Corinthians 13 with me. Patience, kindness, not keeping a record of wrongs, not rejoicing in evil. Who does this remind you of the most? Who embodies this more than anybody else? We see all of these things supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. He's always protecting us. He never fails us. He will never let us down. Jesus is the embodiment of all of these things. The best friendships are based on these shared values. Again, C.S. Lewis in his book, Four Loves, put it like this. What draws people to be friends is that they see the same truth. They share it. Now, church, what is the truth that we share? Well, the truth that we share is the truth of the gospel. Yet in many ways, everybody here today that trusts and knows Jesus has the same life story. We may come from different parts of the world. We may have different experiences. We may have different backgrounds. But we share the same life story because once we were all dead in our sin. But we've all been raised to new life because of the person of Jesus Christ. We've all been through a near-death experience, if you like, actually a totally dead experience. And we've all been raised to new life, so we share the same life story. We've all been rescued and saved. I can remember doing a placement when I was training to be a vicar in Uganda. Uh, In America, sorry. But before we went to America, we had four weeks in Uganda. And we, we turned up at Uganda, we went actually with Lee and, Lee and Rachel for a few weeks. And I can remember arriving, and even though you've never met these people before, we spent some time with the church community, you instantly connect because you've got the same DNA, you've got the same life story. Now we spent three weeks there, three or four weeks, had one night back at home in Cambridge, and then flew out to Newport Beach, California, where I did my parish placement training to be a vicar. Now you could not get more different from Newport Beach, California, the most the richest town in the wealthiest country in the world and southwest Uganda. And yet you had the same connection with, the, with people that knew and trust Jesus because we share the same life story. Now just think about that for a moment. Think about the beauty of friendship in the context of the church, in the context of the gospel. I've got friends because of church family, this church family, who are, who are at different life stages, come from totally different backgrounds to me, totally different contexts, and yet we're committed to love one another like this because we're heading in the same direction towards the person of Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a moment. Phil and Francis Harding, who are on the staff team here, um, they are such a gift to us as a church family. Now if you didn't know, St. Thomas's is only about two years, four months old in its current iteration. We're a relatively new church plant. A group of about 30 people, mainly in their 20s, moved mainly from York up to Newcastle to replant St. Thomas's. Now Phil and Francis are not in their early 20s. I know they look pretty good, but they're, they're not in their early 20s. And yet they made the intentional life decision to move with a bunch of people that are in different generation to them and commit to us as a people for the sake of the gospel. Now, where else would you get that? Where else is friendship like that modelled and celebrated? The church is a unique community. Now, this kind of love was a totally revolutionary idea in the context that the Bible was written into. By the time Paul was writing, 
He was writing in Greek. The Greeks had three words, three main words for love. Eros, which was a sexual kind of love. A love that described, you know, the kind of bonds that existed between a, a, a mother and a daughter or a father and a son. And they had another kind of love that existed between close friends. The word that Paul is using for love here is the word agape. And this kind of love was totally revolutionary. It's a type of self-sacrificial giving love that is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's this love that we're to base our friendships on. Now, the book of Proverbs has lots to say about friendship. There's one proverb that says this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Look, we can have friends, but they might be unreliable. But a good friend, a good friend can be even closer than a sibling. Now, this is an extraordinary thing for the Bible to say. It was written into a context and a culture where the nuclear family unit was the most important thing. The idea that a friend could be closer than a biological sibling is absolutely shocking. But that is what the Bible is saying. Now, who is the true friend that sticks closer than a brother? Who always puts us first? Who will never let us down? Who loved us so much that he went to the cross for us? And because of this friend, we can be confident in our relationships because he's the best friend that will never, ever let us down. Well, of course, that person is Jesus Christ. He embodies friendship and love perfectly. And do you see what the Bible's getting at here? The Bible condemns nobody, nobody to a life of loneliness. All of us, whether we're married or single, whether we're 20 or 60, wherever in the world we've come from, all of us can have intimate, loving, meaningful relationships. We can have that with God, but we can also have it because of what Jesus has done. We can have that with each other. And church, it doesn't have to look like the Disney dream. Falling in love with the one special person is not going to fix all of your problems and suddenly make you happy. Jesus was single. Jesus chose intentional, committed relationships with a relatively small group of people. And he was the most fulfilled human being to ever walk the planet. If we can go on a journey together of loving one another and treasuring one another and being modeling good friendship with one another... All of us, I believe, can have these intimate relationships too. Now, before I finish, one reason this is really important is that Jesus said to the, to the disciples in John's Gospel several times that the way that you love one another will be the mark to the rest of the world of whether you're my disciples or not. In John 13, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, church, there's a hurting, lonely, broken world that we're living in. 
the kind of thing that we're talking about here, if we can put this, ask the Holy Spirit to put this into practice through us, if we can be intentional and consistent and show up, if we can prefer each other, if we can give to one another rather than thinking what we can get, Think about what that models to a world where one in three people say that they're lonely, where one in three says they have no best friend, where 27% of young adults say they have no close friends. Imagine the power of living this out. Now, I'm going to end just by reading a C.S. Lewis quote, and I got quite emotional when reading this. We believe in a sovereign God who is in charge of everything, ordains everything, um, is in, control of, is in control of the universe. He chose us. C.S. Lewis says this about the sovereignty of God in friendships. In friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university or school instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another but I have chosen you for one another. Friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauty of the other. He's chosen us to be together. chosen you to be with us how can we model this love one another and become the most amazing radical community that you could possibly ever conceive well only by the help of God so can I invite you to stand just where you are Um, we're going to go into time of response now. Young people, you're going to head out as Lisa earlier with Joel and Abby, so if you want to make your way to um, that corner. The rest of us, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and to increase our love for one another. Let's do um, a few things now just as the band begin to play. First is I want you just to think about the people that God has put around you, those people that you feel called to, your friendship group. And let us pray that we might love one another better.
And let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we need to be more intentional. Where is it that we've not been consistent, where we've not shown up, where we've not been present, where we've not committed to going to something every week or whatever it might be in order to build those friendships and to deepen that love. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to make us more intentional people. And finally, let's ask for the gospel to be displayed through our love for one another, that people might look at us and say, they must belong to Jesus. The band are going to lead us in some response, but if you want prayer about anything related to those things or anything else, then can I encourage you to go and get some prayer tonight? Firstly, you may be one of those people that just experiences loneliness, and you think, I just don't know... I don't, have, I don't have any friends. Um, if that's you, we would love to pray for you. Jesus is with you. It may be that you know that you need to be more intentional, that you need, need to make some more intentional choices. It might be that as a, a friendship group, you go over and get some prayer tonight. I don't know, that you commit to one another and loving one another in the way that the Bible says here. Go and get some prayer. And if you long for Jesus to be displayed through the way that you love other people, you just sense there's an opportunity in your workplace or your university lecture for that God, for the gospel to be demonstrated through your love, then we would love for, to pray with you for that as well, that, that might, the gospel might be displayed through the way that we love and are friends with one another. Let's respond in worship and if you want prayer, please do go and receive um, some prayer over in that corner.